0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
1: Fall Guy. That's what the poster said.
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to
1: make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Cause I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
0: The NFL playoffs are here and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. This sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, and you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play with for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: Want to go pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Everything better than a glass
0: of beer is tea with Miss McGill. (laughs) And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 174 of the big show. Some enforcer-based podcasting. The international edition. Because I'll tell you folks, we are going international. From the Italian Hockey Federation basement, I got Jay on the line. Jay, what's happening? How are you today?
1: Well, I have to be honest. I'm a little confused because I thought I, uh, I dialed up the number over to Madison Square Garden. I wanted to talk to Joe Lucido, but uh, apparently we have to go with, uh, with a 3.06.
0: Exactly. Well, uh, no, yeah, this is the hold music at MSG. When they put you on hold, you get dispatched over here uh, to the mud Show in Saskatchewan. Yeah, Lizito. (laughs) Hey, I'm, you know, don't take this personally. Lizito doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have time for me. He doesn't talk to low-level people like us.
1: I know, but I still love my Joe's balls.
0: Exactly. You know, between the Yule log and Joe's balls, number one wang, (laughs) man, I'm telling you.
1: Yeah. All right, but hey, really, uh, it's, it's, it's great to be back here. And before we start chatting, I just wanted to say thanks, uh, to you and Alec and Joe for all the great job you, you guys have done for all of us. And you know, now that we all live during this fucking COVID life, it means a lot for me to have all these shows coming up on my Spotify list all the time. And also I want to say thank you to a few bands who have, you know, released some great albums last year and you know really kept me going so thank you Plisken. thank you Seberia, Papat Foyanacht, Akaleko Urdanok Orreaga 778 and Cuero and thanks for the, for the uh, for, thanks to the uh, record record labels, Tough eight Enough Records and Mende disc. and now back to the studio
0: well, like I said this is like Dingo and the Baby over here here we go yeah, yeah. this It's yeah. the morning drive show
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I really need to get a swing of this English language again. So I'll I'll, I'll give it my best shot, buddy. Well, how many
0: languages can you speak?
1: Uh, I I'd say six, you know, and then I can understand and you know you know get by by speaking three more additional languages. But that's all thanks to hockey, you know. When you move around so much and you always go to new countries and new cultures, it's not only. The respectful thing to learn a new language, but it's all basically well, one of the key factors if you want to succeed. Because uh, there's too many people, maybe sometimes who think that everybody everywhere speaks English, but no, that's not how the world goes.
0: Well, assimilation into a new yeah. We are going to discuss we that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to we're going to discuss that topic with fighters yeah. and assimilating into North American uh, hockey and culture. Uh, we'll do all that. Look at, I mean, it's like I'm talking to the United Nations here. Look at six languages oh. and stuff. I could barely, I barely got out of grade eight French, and uh, well, and, you, and you're going six languages. That's impressive, man.
1: But that that still doesn't mean that I am a civilized person.
0: Oh, I know that, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're just, you could, you could really articulate while you're, Cade manning it up but you could articulate yourself very well well there you go
1: yeah but uh, hey since we are we are going to speak about european fighters today yes. i know that you have your two favorites you have you have Tino Sara and you have oof samuelson i'm sorry but those guys i will not have any kind of you know discussion about but hey people please go on on youtube and search for john searson there's some incredible footage. Like that guy was a monster. Like he was just killing guys, you know, left left, right and center. It's incredible to watch.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's serious that yeah, he that's my that's my Nottingham the fourth line voice Nottingham offices. But I mean yeah. I, I, I haven't really told him yet. There might be some changes in his department. We'll see.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. We had a draw we true. had a
0: draw and his name came up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Okay. You know, yeah. but, uh, well, um, well, like I said, I guess normally in this part of the show is when I'm doing the, uh, you know, I, when I said I'm a member of the hockey podcast network, there's over 50 shows in the network, all the NHL teams are represented. So you folks should uh, check that out. And then of course, then I start talking about part-time only down there in Florida, mud show, oh, the yeah. five for Fighting uh, podcast. Oh, he's on the network now. He's a big he's deal. He's
1: such a stalker these days too, eh?
0: Oh, I know. Actually, you know what? He's uh, apparently he has today off. He goes, "Oh, I have, to, I have, uh, I have tomorrow off." I said, "Well, I, I think it'd probably be easier for everybody if you told us what days he had on." You know, I mean, wow. I mean, that guy's whole life's a holiday. Gallivanting around true. there, you know, down there. Uh, in
1: the, the only thing he is, he is he is fucking worried about is the code.
0: Yeah, well, I know. The, the code mm. and where he can find Bushlight Apple. Those are, the, oh. those, are his, those are his two things in life that he's uh that he worries about
1: I like uh, code and sailing, ladies and gentlemen I like code, code and, code sailing. and sailing.
0: that's a good one I like that yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, thank you
0: you know and then of course uh, you know Bro- uh, Broadway Joe give it a Lizzito. Oh, uh, they are the Luzito. world famous MSG out, in, out yeah. in New York New York have you ever been to New York uh
1: only very briefly at the JFK and then I went to see a Rangers game once I'm so sorry Joe very sorry.
0: Oh, you've been to MSG. Oh, there you go.
1: Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, I, if that meant... Go, well, I shouldn't say if that meant going to a ranger... Eh, I'd probably either, rather go see the fucking Holiday on Ice than the ranger game. But I'd love to see MSG, for but
1: sure. But I spent over, over a week in, in the state of New York, in this in this quaint little city called Syracuse. There you um, go. This was back in 19... Ninety nine or 2000, and the first game on that trip I saw was between the Crunch and the Philly Phantoms, and they were stacked that year. There was uh, Francis Lazard, Steve McLaren, Eric Bertrand, Ryan Bast, maybe Farid was there as well, maybe Bulleris was there as well, but it was pretty damn incredible to watch those rosters. And then uh, the Albany team, they had... Sasha Lakovic there in Springfield had, I think they had, you know, Kevin Sawyer, Dan fought. Oh, great games.
0: Oh, yes, the the joys of late 90s AHL. Yeah, what a time, what a time. But,
1: uh, But thank God the game today is so much faster and more skilled. So I'm very happy for this development.
0: Yeah, I've been told numerous times, it's better now, bro.
1: Oh, yeah, bro.
0: Yeah, so... But you know what? You and I we're going to go back in the past because we don't get it. So yeah. we may as well stay back in the past, and we're going to sure. ta- we're going to talk about a few things here. Um, yeah. Well, first things first. Uh, in all seriousness, folks, I've had Jay on the show before, and we kind of on in that episode we you know basically your your journey through hockey and the, you know the Ice Warriors tournament and all that, and we talked about all that in your first show. But um, yeah. and I know we also talked about you you wrote a book. With Sammy Helenus about his, yeah. his about his story, we talked briefly about that. But once again, for the new, we got new listeners here, um, let's talk about that again. Uh, when When did that book come out? And what uh, give give us some give us some uh, some background on Sammy and uh, and and his story, and maybe a few stories about him.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, th- the book came out in 2004, and that was the year. Or- or the season when when Sammy had finally decided you know to return you know back to Finland and uh, yeah the funny thing is with Sammy he was six five or six six and uh, he he got signed by Calgary a uh, a three or four year contract and he he enters the American League as a twenty year old with no prior fighting experience whatsoever. And when you are six five or six six, uh, you're gonna attract some attention, you know, with that size alone. And it was fairly tough for Sammy those first couple of years, like he says in his book. Like he found all the possible ways how how to lose a fight because he had so experience, and he had to fight guys who had been doing this job for anything, be, you know, between five to ten years already. And you know, he went against guys like uh, Turner, Stevenson, Darcy Simon. Bill Armstrong, uh, Ken Belanger, uh, Kevin Sawyer, Mike Ware, uh, Dennis Maxwell, Chamba Duke, uh, Joe Therio, but in the end, he learned, you know, the secrets of the trade, and he he played uh, he played for Calgary, Tampa, Dallas, and Colorado, and you know, uh, it's it's pretty neat to think that this was around the time when the team started to carry like only one like true number 1 heavyweight and then you had like these top stay at home Ds and these power forwards so for a few years there in a, i think it was a 30 team league at the time so sammy was in his own way you know wh- one of the top players you know playing that role yeah sure he didn't beat up guys like you know short la or you know brush here But he did something right, and, you know, just to consider that he goes to the Wild American League as a 20-year-old with no prior fighting experience, and he just has to learn the secrets of the trade against some very dangerous professionals. That takes a lot of, you know, character and a lot of balls.
0: Yeah, well, and it's interesting. Like Mm -hmm. I said, we'll go go in on this topic a little more um, as we go on here, and, um, you know, especially coming with... Like on on this side of the microphone, of course, with the with the North American view on things, right? And and I think probably a lot of listeners, I'm including myself in this. Of course, you get the whole, you know, you grew up with the, I I mean, for lack of a better term, but like the Don Cherry stereotype, right? Oh, the soft (laughs) the soft Euro, right? And you and you get that, and I think and it's 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 very and Cherry wasn't the only guy, right? That was sort of well, and and at the same time, it was. I mean, it, it was sort of correct in the fact that it was just they, you got it was just a different style of hockey played in Finland and yeah. overseas, it, and it still is, and, and it's just the way the mindset of the game is towards the game is just different on each continent, right? So I mean, that's that's just natural. That's not saying anything racial yeah. or anything. That's just the way it is. I mean, hockey's just viewed differently, or the mindset around the game is just different. So of course, you have this idea that all these guys are soft, right? which isn't true at all when you, when you see it. And like you said, to be 20 years old, to come over from Finland in a, in a in non-fighting hockey to come over and, yeah. and immediately, like you said, 69 games, 200 minutes of penalties in the American league in mid nineties, when like every team had three and four guys like, yeah, that is huge fucking balls to come over yeah. and do that. And I think I'm wrong. again, I'm including myself in this. And we're all guilty of it. I think, um, that doesn't get viewed we don't look at it that way, right? Like when you think of him or a uh, an Oliwa or a Strubko or whatever that they come over or uh even ons uh to come over from a background of non fighting to all yeah. of a sudden immediately taking on the toughest guys. I mean, yeah. The fucking guts. And yeah, and like you said, sure. on the job training. As you're do as you're getting punched in the face, you're learning. That's a tough <laughs> way to learn, you know?
1: Yeah. And like for me, like I always had this kind of like a unique perspective on things because I am half Finnish and I'm, you know, half Canadian. Yes. And yeah. And, uh, like we talked uh, yesterday before we decided to, to record the show today, I explained to you about the 1970s and the old WHA and how some of those teams were the first ones to actually start recruiting European players. And yeah. what, what many people don't necessarily know back in, back in North America is that those guys had it fucking tough when they came to the WHA. Not only did their own teammates hate their fucking guts because they thought that they were coming to steal the jobs and the women and all that stuff, but the same thing also went on the ice with the opposing team. And I have talked to e- enough players from that era who said that uh, That for a very long time, when they went to the locker room, when they went to the practices, it was like, you know, 20 Canadians against one or two, you, you know, European players. They hate. And they they didn't invite these guys for, you know, the team festivities necessarily. And they tried to undermine these guys in every possible way in the locker room or, or, you know, during the practice, you know, just to make them look bad and, you know, just to make them feel fucking miserable. And this was, you know, the um, this was the time also when not even American-born players were not, you know, that, you know, highly coveted by the, you know, Canadian players on these teams. Yep. So imagine being a professional athlete and going through that kind of motions that you have 20 guys on your team who hate your fucking guts. And on the ice, there's 20 more guys who hate your fucking guts and they're going to spear you. They're, they're going to cross check you. They're going to sucker punch you. Uh, yeah. That takes a lot of guts to go and not only to survive in such environment, but also to succeed in such an, an, an environment.
0: No, absolutely. And uh, well, like I said, we'll go back to Helenus here with his book. Um, yeah. Like, did Sammy talk about that? Like, when he went over to St. John's and stuff, like, did he have a lot of problems with that, or and, uh, or was there was the team fairly accepting, or like, does does he have any stories about that?
1: He he did mention two players' names in his book, and later on, one of these players actually joined Sammy's team in Finland, and they you know kind of had to you know make up things. So, uh, but yeah, there was a lot of you know hatred. And all kinds of stuff going on there. But after a while, when Sammy showed that he had the character and he would drop the gloves and he would, you know, play for the team, I think, you know, he earned the respect, you know, from his peers on his team and also on the other teams because uh, there were a lot of guys that, you know, they maybe, you know, came up to the American League for one game and they were never seen again and one of the stories i can remember was that the western league graduate david chechilovsky he came from the united league up to the american league i think he played four games in total and he had only one fight and that that was against sammy and sammy sammy beat him up and and on the following day the local newspaper read sammy beat chechilovsky down back to the united league <laughs> so those are the kind of actions that I'm sure you know you know made Sammy respected not only by his teammates but also people aware that, hey, this guy means business.
0: No, absolutely. well, and I mean it was in his book. I mean, are you gonna hold out on us? Who are the two names that he named in the book?
1: Uh, Joel Bouchard and Clark Willem,
0: really? Oh, Clark. Former guest of the
1: show. Uh. And I know. And I I also met him in, in Finland. And he was so nice. And he discussed this situation with me also. But hey, also, you have to understand that there was a lot of farm boys back in the day who went to play, let's say, in the American League, way in the East or way in the States. And those were their first encounters with Europeans, Also, so and it's sometimes funny when I listen to these guys, you know, bitch and moan about soft euros and blah, blah, blah. And then I know that these people, in fact, are only first generation Canadians or Americans like they are Germans, they are Czechs, they are Swedes, they are Italians. So they are much more European than they are North American, you know, in a way. Yep. But somehow hockey has given this kind of frame for people, you know, to judge people from across the pond. Sure, there were a lot of wimps who came from from Europe to different leagues in, in US and Canada. But I have also seen some wimpy players from US and Canada, you know, play juniors and pro. It oh, goes I, both
0: I saw a lot of wimpy players play for the Saskatoon Blades. Yeah, so that's, no, a, that's that certainly not just exclusive <laughs> to uh, Europe. Yeah. Europe, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, but it's uh, it's interesting. Like, uh, for example, there's this, an, another Finnish player that I told you about only a few days ago. Uh, he goes to play in the old SJ for the Regina Pat Blues. His name is Kim Lahtinen, and he goes there as a 17-year-old. In his first year, in 1978, in the SJ, in 53 games, he racks up 171 penalty minutes. The ne- next year, he he goes to play in the dub. He plays only 24 games, but racks up 125 pims. And his final season in the dub, he, he, he plays for Spokane. In 59 games, he has 217 pims. And I can only imagine how hard it must have been for this guy, and also maybe one more well-known fin- Finnish player also played in the SJ, and his name is Esa Tikkonen. and he also wrapped up I think more than two hundred pims. Maybe maybe you can check that out for me.
0: Yeah, well, it was funny when you when you mentioned his name, um, I was just like, I've never heard of this person. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to look that up, but
1: and. You know, when when we are talking about Esa Tikkanen, it's amazing when we had that Ice Warriors tournament back in 2010. All the Canadians who were there, from Sean McMorrow to Jason Bone to Derek Parker to Curtis Swanson, they acted like little kids who, when they met Tikkanen because he was one of our judges there. And that tells you a lot, like, what kind of respect all those players have still who played for the... Uh, Eighties at Ed Ed Edmonton Oilers, like it, it was just incredible for me to see. Yeah, like these guys were acting serious to like five-year-olds around Dick Conan. It was awesome.
0: No, absolutely, and uh, well, and like I said, going uh, <clears throat> with Helenus I mean, I noticed uh, um, he had he had played. Well, we had talked before we got going about. Um, he played on that 98 uh, Thunder, Las Vegas Thunder team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, of course, Jolt and Joe uh, had game tapes for and made a, a very nice fight DVD. And yes. uh, and what a team, man. It had Kaminsky and Louis DeBrusque and Dean Ewan. Well, of course, Dean Ewan's the hookup for Joe. And then, yeah. um, you know, just a bunch of tough guy. Lauren Tays is on that team briefly and blah, blah, blah.
1: Trip, go Hellenius, all these guys, yeah. Yeah, Chad
0: Wagner briefly. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, Bob Bourne, was well. Even the assistant coach was Rod Buskis. I mean, you know, even the coaching staff was tough. But uh, I have
1: a, I have two great stories from from Sammy's days with with the Thunder. The, the first one actually has something to do with Dean Ewan. Here we go. Uh, Dean was wearing a cast on on his punching hand, or and uh, uh, Jason Smear just attacked him, knowing that Dean was you know wearing a cast. And they had, you know, a small altercation in there. And then there was, you know, kind of a, you know, small brawl or a strum going on. And Schmier kept fucking, you know, running his mouth from the penalty box on Dean. And then Sammy, he climbed over the plexiglass and he throws a punch at Schmier. And you can see this on those videos. But Dean loved that, you know, stunt by Sammy. He said like, whoa, buddy, I really, I, I really appreciate it. What you did there for me, and I was always surprised that Schmier would go after Dean in such way, knowing that he was wearing a fucking cast.
0: Yeah, that's kind of obvious. Yeah, that was kind of there. Maybe there it must have been maybe some, something else to the story there. Yeah. I mean, and
1: there's a, another story. Well, Sammy was there for for two years, but then he got traded away. And the way he got, or the way he learned that he got traded. Oh, I I love this story. He and, and Andrei Sripko and their Ukrainian goalie, uh, uh, Konstantin Simchak, they had a, they all had a day off. So the boys decided that they go and buy a huge, large bottle of vodka. And then they decide to hit the links and go play some golf. It's a nice sunny day and the boys are, you know, getting the bus on, you know, drinking the vodka. And then Sammy's phone rings. And his agent calls him that you've been traded, you have you know one hour to you know get there and blah blah blah. So Sammy had to leave those those two Ukrainians there, you know, playing golf. And the only thing that Sammy says in his book that he was worried about but what happened to the to the battle of vodka.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um well like you said they with Stru- with Strupco. Yeah, I I wasn't familiar with him. Um, you know, uh until I saw the the Vegas DVD back in the oh. day and I was just like, who is this guy? Like he again, big dude, uh, and he's like he's like putting it on guys. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. But you know, I looked yeah. it up and I mean, he actually came over. He played in the BC League. That's where True. he played junior with Langley yeah. uh, in the BC League and then uh you know, with, went to uh Toledo with the Storm and then yeah. Vegas and and you know, bounced around the IHL, then Syracuse for a couple seasons. Um, yeah. I, that, I mean, I'm sure maybe a lot of people listening aren't familiar with Andre uh, Skruko, but uh, that, he's a bad dude, man.
1: He is, and he actually also like he really wanted to make it there in the uh, in the uh, North American leagues because when he came over. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have met him a few times with the previous time being uh three or four years ago when I was working for the, for the Italians and he was coaching team Ukraine. And uh we talked about, you know, life and stuff because we had met previously before that, like back in 2003 or something, but you know, we, we, we talked about Sammy and that stuff, but Sripko's story is pretty damn in, incredible he he comes to Canada there and then he makes the minor pro leagues like you said there and he still can't speak you know very good English and despite the fact that he had 25 fighting majors in his first year pro uh, his teammates didn't invite him into any team gatherings they just ignored him and you know call him all the bad you know All the bad words in the book. But he persisted and he prevailed. And I think his prime as a player and and as a fighter was when he was in Syracuse because at that time, uh, uh, Jody Shelley was, you know, the number one guy. So Shripko only had to go like maybe 15 or 20 times a season. like, Like he told me that he could know be the guy who would react on the ice if something happened. Like, he could react right away. But if the play went, you know, maybe a different way, then it was, you know, time for Jody to come on the ice and, and you know, settle the matter.
0: Yeah. No, he, uh, no, they were, that, that was, uh, <clears throat> uh, quite the, uh, qu- well, quite the tag team there in Syracuse, right? And, oh. uh, yeah, man, Sy- Syracuse, Man, they had some tough teams over the years.
1: Yeah, like that uh, that uh, 99-2000 team alone, Mike Brown, Trevor Doyle, Cabana, Ferron, and a bunch of other guys who can also go like, you know, it, it, it was, you know, a lot of those American League teams, if you look at the rosters right now, it, it would be so easy to point out like, you know, 10 guys from each team, who would always need it?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like that, and it's like, and all those teams, like it was just yeah. so deep back then. I tell yeah, you, Jay, Jay, we didn't know how good we had it back then as fans.
1: Oh, do you remember? I sent you that one piece of commentary you had you had written online in 2000 or 2001, and you were already crying about how the game is so soft and blah 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 and now 20 years later uh, it wasn't so soft after all you know in 2000 2001 but you were already crying and making yourself very audible and very well you know
0: <laughs> heard. Yeah. it's funny you mention that I know you sent me all that stuff I still haven't I haven't read a lot of that stuff yet Oh, oh okay. one of my posts is in there that's funny yeah hey, Oh yeah Yeah. Oh. Well, that was like when I was, um, a while back when I was doing, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but I was going through those aggressive hockey reports, that, oh, Sandy, be, that be- newsletter that Sandy and them had written uh, back in the in the early 90s. And uh, yeah. in one of the, you know, air quotes, editorials, Sandy's bitching about the, the lack of fighting and how pussy yeah. the league is. And this was like 1993. I was like... <laughs> Shit, seriously? I'm like, that 1993 looks like Thunderdome compared to now. I mean, oh. you, know, you know, I, was, I it just struck me funny oh. that anybody that could watch 90s hockey would say it was soft. I was like, I don't know what the hell he's watching, but all right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you could say it, look at it now and say it's soft, and I completely agree with you. As you're saying it now, two th- uh, they were still swinging in 2000, so I'm not really sure what I was crying about, but. All right, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, well, and, folks, for those listening, um, and I will say this. Oh, I've said it before on the air, but I'll say it again, that Jay here has been an incredible resource tool um, in, in terms of getting old research for me, old newspaper articles, digging up old fried chicken articles and stuff and uh, fight cards and everything else. So thank you for doing that for me. It makes... It, it, I think, it, well, one, it makes my life a lot, a whole lot easier. It's <laughs> stuff that I never would have found and looked mm-hmm. up. But two, at the end of the day, for the, for you guys listening, when I'm doing an interview, and sometimes you oh, I, that's great you asked that question. That was so in-depth and stuff. Well, Jay's the reason it was in-depth, because he was the one that told me about the incident to ask the guy, because I wouldn't <laughs> have known about it. So um, I, I thank you for making the interviews that much better. Because they were stories mm-hmm. that I never would have got out of the person because I didn't even know about them. And your research was the was what brought me to that question. So, um, yeah, you certainly made the interviews a lot better. And we certainly got some good stories out of it. And uh, And I know the, the guys, yeah, it's I don't... actually great. Well, yeah, and I know, and and I mean, with the articles that you've dug up for the... And I know you've helped out many players by sending them old newspaper articles and old pictures and stuff like that. So, uh, Jay does this... It's the stuff behind the scenes that you that the that the, the folks never see that uh, that Jay does. He's he works in the shadows, but uh, <laughs> but I know it is yeah. I from talking with the guys that I know you've helped. Uh, you know with uh, Parsons and guys like that and uh, Staniforth and shit. Uh, I know they I know they greatly and co Frank Kovacs. I know Frank's listening. Oh um, yeah you know, uh, you've done a lot of help for those, you've helped a lot of those guys. I know they really appreciate it. uh, Well,
1: it's actually, it's been a lot of fun because like, even though uh, I've been lucky enough, you know, actually to make a career in in pro hockey as a scout or as the, like in in Europe, we say sports manager, which translates into like, you know, director of hockey operations. Mm -hmm. But this is still like, a hobby to me and a lot of these guys you just mentioned well I had heard the name like you know Kent Staniford and I had seen seen some of his fights like you know years ago but then when I hear him on your show explaining his stories that's a whole whole new world to me and you know also guys like you know Dan Kopeck. it's been great you know to talk to him I sent him some DVDs and he sent me some great photos on, on you know that he signed for me and he sent this one beautiful photo of him and marty the meat grinder but also like uh it's a very tight knit you know you know community i think what we have like i've been making these dvds also and guys like sultan ron Steven, apes church you Searson, everybody has always you know been there for me and you know you know You've all sent me, you know, tons of footage, and it's just great. And you know, oh, Napes told me, by the way, that you are actually building a time machine. So how's that going right now?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I believe me. I really wish I could. Oh, you know how many people I'd go back and yell at? I'm telling you now. Uh, no. Well, I, would... I,
1: I I'm I'm gonna ask you a question. If you would have a time machine, you what would be the one hockey fight event? That you, that you would go back to see in time. Mine would be the infamous myth, Gordie Howe against Lou Fontinado, And it's something I want to break down in an actual article someday. And maybe the second one will be to go back to the 1910, 1920s to see Sprague Gleghorn, Spre- however you pronounce it. And I would also love to go to the mid-90s over to Thunder Bay to see a game in the Colonial League.
0: No, absolutely. I have also I have read about and heard about, um, speaking of Thunder Bay, yeah, when Mel and them went into the crowd, I believe in Brantford. I would love to see <laughs> that. That would be fun to see. Um, yeah. actually yeah that Gordy How yeah. Wouldn't it would be cool to go back to Montreal for the Richard riots? That'd be pretty cool yeah. to oh, see. Wow. You
1: know? But it's interesting like that fight between Uh, between Gordy and Lou. Okay, uh, you have seen those photos of Lou's broken nose, which he had busted five or six times before he had that fight against Gordy. But Lou Lou didn't miss any games. Gordy missed two games because of broken ribs, and he had two shiners. So it wasn't as one-sided as every fucking book makes it sound. And the next author to write a book who will just mention that yeah Gordy Howe beat blue Foinado and he was the heavyweight champ I'm gonna come after you
0: <laughs> it's it, Well, exactly no it's and it's so funny you brought this up fuck were you looking at my phone Alec and I were talking about this exact thing last night Any anytime on these fight groups or anything else you mentioned Gordy Howe the next the next post after is something about Lou Fontenotto. And I said, it's become, like, on the show, we always talk about myth and reality. Um, Yeah. Like, do I, I don't doubt that Gordy won the fight. I do doubt that it was this one-sided massacre that everybody talks about. Yeah. Because I believe it was either you or Steve. It's probably you. But somebody had sent a bunch of, or maybe it was on Fried Chicken, I read it, years ago, but I've seen it since. There were newspaper articles, obviously, about that fight, and when you read the actual articles from that exact time when it happened, like the next day, it talks about an even back and forth fight. None of them talk about this huge. Oh, Gordy just destroyed him, and holy fuck, we don't Mm -hmm. even know if Lou will ever play again. I mean, you talk with the way some people talk about you. You think Lou's career ended that night? Like, no. If you read these articles, it was like a very good back and forth. But over yeah. time, of course, the myth builds up and yeah. it becomes, and then it becomes that Gordy Howe never lost a fight and destroyed everyone and all that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gordy never really fought that much. Like somebody said, he had 23 fighting majors in his career. So I don't know what all this Gordy fought all the time business is. But I think it's just <laughs> one of those things that all these people over the years, I mean, at the time, they sit around cross legged around the. On the floor while Grandpappy tells them stories of Gordy, and it's just like the myth gets created and and just passed down from generation to generation, and history's revisionist, and it's just yeah. And Gordy and became think, the conqueror uh, of man.
1: The funniest thing is that what uh, what Louis Fondinado used to say, like years after the fight, that that he was happy to make you know Gordy so famous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, and for a long time, like even Lou would get like. Because people, of course, later on in life would all, of course, bring the fight up all the time, right? And it's... Auto yeah. uh, would get, like, fucking hot about it. Like, he'd be like, yeah. well... No, he didn't destroy me. And, like, like for the longest time, people were saying, well, Lou was telling people that it was, like, even. And I'm like, I don't know about if it was even or not, but it's like, you know, it's... Uh, yo, he was... Fucking Fontenot would get mad about that. And it was just like... Yeah. But, yeah, but that's, like... It's like the same thing, like I always say when you bring up Scott Parker. Well, Probert knocked him out. You know, that's like, oh, okay, idiot. Like just, Probert knocked a bunch of guys out. Probert got knocked out. So I'm like, I don't know. I always laugh when people talk about Scott Parker losing to Probert like it was a bad thing. I'm like, well, I think the entire league lost to Probert at one point. So I don't know why you keep saying that like it's some sort of knock to Scott. Like somehow I'm going to take Parker down a peg or two by saying he lost to Probert.
1: Yeah, and he was only 20 years old at the time.
0: Yeah, he was 20 years old. I'm like, well, he had like 200 fights after that. And look, I don't think he got dropped ever again after that. So I'm like, I, you know, and he dropped a lot of tough guys. So it's like, I don't know, all of a sudden, yeah, he's 20 years old. It's like when you bring up Link Gates and they're like, oh, Koser killed him. Well, he was 21 years old. I mean, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, Link didn't go down either, though. He stood there and kept coming, which says something about Link too. But it's like. I don't know. People get this, or it's like this: Larry Robinson destroying Dave Schultz. It's like, well, he throws oh, yeah. three—he throws three punches and pulls him down. But all of a sudden, it became, "Oh, well, you don't mess with Larry." And it's like, really? Like, have you watched any other Larry Robinson fights? I'm like, I'm not knocking Larry Robinson, but Larry Robinson was not that great of a fighter. Go back and watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, he was okay, but it was like, you know, but you talk to these guys, and it's like, oh, he, like Chara. There's the whole thing with Char. Oh, he's a killer. Well, he is. Oh, all right, who what? Who's he ever beat that was real, real heavyweight? But I mean, like I said, these myths just get built up and built up, right? It's just it's crazy.
1: I'm sure some someday we'll get answers st- straight from Mister Chara himself after he retires, and he will be a guest on the Coliseum Chronicles.
0: Well, yeah, Joe will get it. Oh, yeah, but you know, you know, Joe. Joe can't get past the the Islander the Islander jersey. He he'll be sitting there pumping Chara's tires the whole time. We're not going to get a real <laughs> back and forth, you know. He won't dig the dirt up and and confront the big Z on that sort of thing. Yeah. Just, Do you remember the time when you smoked him, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Darren, you're being very mean right now. <laughs>
0: wow, well, I'm just saying, that, you know, hey. I'm, i what do they call, I'm a truth seeker here. I tell the truth on this show, yeah. And we all know Joe's love of that fisherman jersey will blind oh, him. Will incredible. blind him.
1: Like that fisherman jersey with with the nameplate Mil- Milbury and yes. and the number one. Like wow, that's a that's a piece of art.
0: Well, and for someone that owns that, how are you going to talk sense to him?
1: There's no talk. Exactly. They've
0: already they've they've left the ledge. They can't. You can't bring them back.
1: Yeah. But hey, I, I, I have to backtrack a little bit, since you mentioned about Mel uh, going going into the crowd in Brantford. Uh, it, it was actually incredible. Uh, I was I was collecting these fight clips on the infamous Gary Cooper. Yes. And after his suspension in the OHL, he went to the uh, Colonial League. Mm-hmm. And in this one game, he fought Mel twice. Yeah. They had never played against each other before. But why the hell in the first fight, Mel hit butts you know coolpal and then in the second fight he fucking needs him. like what was going on you with Mel, you know with Mel like that surprised me
0: Well, and I asked Mel about I, I you, you're setting me up with a softball question because I asked Mel that very topic okay and because huh? um, I'm like you know Mel's usually not like that, right He's usually pretty true you know he get a little dirty now and again, but that was pretty wild, right? No, oh, he yeah. um, he had actually, I believe he had fought Koopal before that. A couple of games before okay. that that aren't on video.
1: Okay, okay. But he
0: said he was getting mad because every time they were on the ice together, and like he said the first time we fought, he goes, I beat him up pretty good. And he goes, and son of a bitch, he came right back and he wants to fight again. And I'm like, okay. and, he, and he bugged me and bugged me and bugged me and he wouldn't let it go. And he goes, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fix this fucker so he never asks me again. So he goes, that's why he headbutted the shit out of him. Because he's like, I'm going to make sure he never asks me to fight again. And he goes, so after I'm done headbutting the shit out of him, um, there he is back at it again. And he, No, actually, I think I got him in reverse order. I think he yeah. meet him the first time. And it was just okay. like, he goes, I'm going to make sure he never does this again, so I'm going to give him a knee lift because he's irritating me. Because I don't think the ref saw it, and I don't think he got kicked out. Uh, clearly, he didn't get kicked out for it. But he goes, all of a sudden, Koopel's back out there again, wanting to fight. So Mel said, okay, this is it. I'm going to make sure he never asks again. And that is the fight where Mel headbutts the living shit of him <laughs> twice. Yeah. And, uh yeah. So that was sending a message to Gary Koopel to... Uh, knock it off, and I don't want to fight you anymore. Yeah,
1: hey, gee, that's even wilder than the Danbury Trashers, whom I may have compared in my conversation with you with this, with this newly found fandom. Yes, that they are so cute and they are so harm har, harmless, bro. That Danbury Trashers mania right now. You know, to me, it resonates with my little pony. It's so cute and innocent. But like you said in your brilliant solo episode, these same guys who are now, you know, praising Winger and the Trashers, they don't even know half of the stories, what happened there, how it was actually to play against those guys. And, oh, dear Lord, if anything similar to what, you know, the Trashers did to their opponents would happen, you know, against these guys' favorite players in the NHL now, there will probably be mighty upsets.
0: Oh, yeah. Exactly. No, like I said, I guess because it's on Netflix or something, they don't think it's real or they think it's a movie and it's yeah. like...
1: And I need to say this much. When the Danbury Treasures happened, I thought it was damn incredible. It was awesome and I still think it still is damn awesome. But Somehow I feel the same way as you do with this new fandom, but hey, I'm I'm getting old, so I have the right to be a little cranky.
0: Yeah, well, I think yeah, and like you said, I'm I'm with you on that. Well, like I said, it was you, it was our conversation that obviously sparked that episode. But it was like because um, I I had long thought that way, but no one else was kind of really saying it until you said it. Then I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, obviously, the, these younger people, they weren't around when this was happening, or very young, so they don't understand. So I get that part. I Yeah, like you said, it, I think the thing that, like I said, I'm happy it happened. I, hell, if I was in AJ's position, I would have probably done the same thing. Um, no. You know, I, I dig the whole vibe of the Danbury deal and all that. Um, but I think what irritates me with these new fans, yeah, like you said, is the is the hypocrisy of it. Like I said, it's all the Danbury is savage, bro. That that net that documentary <laughs> savage. And then all of a sudden three tweets later that night they're crying about Tom Wilson hitting their favorite yeah, player at the blue totally. line and how it was predatorial. I'm like, if you think Tom Wilson was predatorial, but yet you're praising Brad Wingfeld. Like, did you see what he did to Josh Elzinga? Like, I mean now Elzinka deserve. I'm not saying that he didn't deserve it and everything else, but I'm just saying if if that shit had happened in the NHL today, like these people lose their mind over that shit. You know, yeah. and it's just like yeah, no, I think it was the hypocrisy of it that, that was what bothers me the most with these yeah, now, fucking poser fans, right?
1: And I really think that your your episode with Winger is is one of the best ones in your whole in your whole back catalog. You know it's it has to be in 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 my top three for sure. And you know I uh I should maybe try to find some more time and go also listen to some of these these other podcasts where where Winger has been ever since they released the documentary. But I know that you know just the amount of facts and stories what you guys exchange in your your episode it can't be topped, and I hope it it will find more audience because I'm sure Winger has so so many more stories that he could share with and he is a great storyteller and i remember i was driving a car actually over to sweden and uh, I, i was listening to this episode and when winger started to explain that little incident when he played in juniors and he was in the crowd i had to park my car on the side of the road and replay that whole thing because I wanted to make sure that I crashed I grasped every aspect of it it was it was so great
0: you know that incident that he's talking about there's a video of that
1: yeah i i've seen it yeah yeah
0: no winger uh no well thank you first of all uh but yeah no winger was an yeah that that's one of my i mean i've enjoyed talking to all the guys but i will definitely say that was a, that interview was a notch above and it certainly wasn't my doing i mean no brad was an excellent guest was open yeah he was a great guest, he was open, he told great stories, he was into it, um, which is a, the fun. The funny thing about that is, and I've been told from a few people that are like, no winger personally, like they couldn't, they couldn't believe, because at that point, he had never done a podcast before, he's not on yeah. social media, so first of all, they're like, I don't know how you got him to get on the show, they couldn't believe that I got him to do it, because apparently with like outsider, like air quotes, outsiders, fans or whatever, he doesn't talk to them like that. Like he yeah. won't share a story. Not that he's mean to people or anything like that. He's very like, when you talk to the fans, they all liked winger when he played there and what that that's not the, but he just wouldn't, whatever you want to call it. He just wouldn't talk shop with fans really. Yeah. And uh, so they're saying like for him to get, to get that type of information out of him when like, we aren't friends or we're just at that point, it was a complete stranger. They couldn't believe it. They didn't know how I'm like, And I want to... And I say... I believe it was Chris Waltz that got me that interview. Was it Waltz? Might have been Chris Shaw. One of them... I had to go through a play... It was Waltz, now that I'm saying it. I had to go through a player to get it. They got a hold of Winger and blah, 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 passed on my information. And and then he listened. I, I think Winger listened to their interview. And then, you know, realized that, you know, I... Thankfully, I wasn't just whatever, some fucking idiot, you know. And they... He was like... And he felt comfortable enough that, okay, sure... And like I said, he, I don't know, how long is that interview? Like almost three hours. And I mean, he was really yep. giving with I- his time. And we talked for probably 45 minutes after. Um, no, he was awesome and really open. And I really want to get him back on the show to kind of do like a five toughest again. Um, but like mm-hmm. I said, just a real hard guy to get a hold of. He's real private. He's not on social media. And, uh, but yeah, I, and, and really it's episode three um, for anybody listening that hasn't checked it out. He's awesome. And like I said, other than, and never mind that, like he tells all the Danbury stuff too, but I mean, and again, this was before the documentary or anything, but he also, yeah, the junior story. Plus he just talks about the brawl in the American league and just, you know, Western pro shit. Like he was a Quebec league and LNH and yeah, everywhere.
1: Yeah, no. And he
0: was awesome. And yeah, I can't thank winger enough for coming on. It was a super popular yeah, episode. i
1: like, you know, despite my, my, you know, trashers and my, my little pony. Comparison, which was done, you know, tongue in cheek, of course. But I, I hope that Winger will also make some well-earned extra money now, you know, thanks to this this documentary and his, you know, his newfound, you know, popularity. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, popularity. Because his story, I think, is what really carries that whole documentary. Of course, there is the family thing also there, but this whole. Saga against him, against uh, uh, you know Chos Elzinga and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I really hope that Winger, you are making a lot of extra money with this because you have earned every cent of it and even more.
0: Oh, absolutely, no. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and like I said, he was cool. He was cool as fuck to me. He gave me a great interview when he didn't have to. I was a fucking nobody in his yeah. life, and it wasn't like I was paying these guys or anything. And he was awesome. And, uh, he gave, he got me a ton of listens. And then when it was funny, when Danbury fucking Trasher Mania hit here, um, you know, I, uh, I, I took out the Danbury portion of our interview and re-uploaded it up and man, it hit chartables again. And it was in the top 50 for, for at least a couple weeks. Like it was booming again. And, uh, I think it's my most downloaded episode now. But uh, and people went right. back and revisited the the original interview with him. So, yeah, Winger was, as they say, ratings gold. And uh, and like yeah. I said, he was cool with me when he didn't and he did the interview when he didn't have to. And, and I was just a fucking stranger nobody. And uh, and he was giving with his time. And, yeah, I mean, I can't uh, I can't thank Winger enough. And, uh, yeah, he was awesome. Awesome guest.
1: Yeah, for but sure.
0: hey, I got HockeyDB open. I got more European guys to talk about here with you for oh for, my God. for a second. But uh,
1: Matt Sundin, Matt Sundin.
0: Well, he's next. Hold on, uh, hold on. I gotta, I gotta click the him away. Uh, uh, Evenons. Um
1: Right is Ivanovs. Oh, that guy, the monster from from Latvia. Like that, he, that, that, guy, that guy
0: is huge. Holy, oh, huge. Yeah,
1: and you know he. I think his story goes like this: that first he went to Junior A or Junior B in Ontario, and yep. then when he was an eighteen or nineteen years old, he entered the United League, and that was the period of time in the UHL, which I'm sure our friend back in Iowa looks as you know the golden days of the United League. Oh, absolutely! And so for those first couple of seasons, he was there he didn't rack up too many pins. okay he was a junior still but then i uh when he went to the east coast league that's when i think he had his first major you know pimps season and way, the reason why i sound here so vague is that i don't have an access to the internet right now on my laptop because my laptop started to update itself to fucking windows 11 without even asking me. So I'm going by memory here. But Evans really must have wanted to make the career that he did, if you consider. He's a teenager, and he goes to the United League. And then he he probably, you know, realizes after a couple of seasons, okay, if I want to move up the ladder, I need to add something to my game, which is more likely that he can add to, like, the 50-goal scorer hands, or... or you know, to start roughing it up. And I think uh, the way he built his career is pretty damn amazing. And also to know that he came back from that incredible KO that Steve McIntyre laid on him. That was damn brutal.
0: Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, like you said, yeah, he comes over, you know, a few penalty minutes here and there. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's in New Haven in the United League. Two hundred seventy minutes, you know. Then he goes to Toledo and Baton Rouge, and the next thing you know, he's in the American League, and mm. uh, you know. And then Hamilton Bulldogs, seventy five games, two hundred fifty nine minutes, and then like I said, all of a sudden, two hundred eighty two games later in the NHL with LA and Calgary, yeah. and it's uh, you know. And again, I think you know, like you said, people all of a sudden this like, well, McIntyre got him. Well, you know, Mac like again, McIntyre got a lot of people, you know. So. I mean they forget the 100 fights before mm-hmm. that too, right? So True. but no, for a, a a big guy and and like I said and like you said, um for a lot of these guys, that was that was on the job training.
1: Yeah, it doesn't
0: matter how big you are. I don't care how big and strong you are.
1: Cuz I I remember that that during one of his se- his seasons in the United League, I know that he fought Mike Warhawk five times. He fought Dean Mayrand at least twice, if not for three times. And that was, you know, his learning process and, and his learning curve, which I can compare with the one which, you know, Sammy Hellenius went through. So that's a pretty tough thing to do. Like, okay, I'm going to fight Mike Warhawk five times. And then I'm going to fight Dean Mayrand. Then he probably fought guys like Sean Legault, who was there at the time, Jeremy Cornish for sure. And I remember in the East Coast, he fought Mitch Fritch. So, Yeah good luck with that. Like learning is supposed to be fun, but I'm sure that for right even as it wasn't always fun, but later down the road, it cheer was rewarding when he made his, his great, his great career in the NHL. No,
0: absolutely. Well, absolutely. And, and like we said, at, you know, at the, at the start of the, um, you know, at the, at the start of the episode here, um, you know, not, not only are these guys uh, learning on the job, but there's the assimilation factor into coming to a different country, learning the language. Um, like, yeah, as you said, teammates that didn't like him, you know, and it, it's, uh, yeah, like I can't even imagine how tough that would be.
1: And you know how tough was Wright's even on his first NHL fight it was very tough because he fought your ultimate favorite, Geno Chara, and he actually lost to him.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh Yeah, and like you said, just to, you know, but the fact to go through all that, like you said, play Junior A in Ontario. Yeah. To, you know, slug it out through the United League and, you know, in such hockey hotbeds as like Macon and Tulsa and Baton Rouge, till all of a sudden now you're playing, you know, Seventy some games, four years in a row with the LA Kings. I mean, it's and it's that a, it's amazing.
1: And it will be interesting to know how and why did he decide to go straight to the United League after one year in Junior A. That's that's pretty rare. Like I don't think even too many Canadians have done that kind of jump. No. Yeah.
0: You know. Well, and I, and especially having really no and having no rep. Yeah. Like, even when you look at his junior A stats, there's nothing there that's like stands out. Like, holy yeah. shit, we need this guy. I mean, I guess the only thing that would have stood out is how big he was. So, yeah, I mean, true. I get, and I mean, it's one of those, you can't teach size, as they always say. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here's this big, jacked up Lithuanian guy or whatever. It's like, all right, well, we'll give him a shot. But it's like, clearly that's what got him in the door. But I mean, at some point, you got to. Size going, you know. I mean, you need to do something at some point. You can't just oh, he's big. Well, all right. Yeah. I mean, there's been lots of big guys that were useless. So it's like, yeah. No, it's, it's quite a an, quite amazing. I'm,
1: yeah, it is, and uh, I know that uh, since he retired, he has been doing a lot of great work with the junior players. And I've heard from my friends who who know him that he is one, you know, one solid guy and a and a and a true gentleman too
0: no absolutely uh no and to really uh now it's bugging me i had it right on the top of my head somebody i've had a few guys on this show that have said the same thing that yeah uh, he's a good dude and whatever and and all that but uh no that, that and that's cool that they've um well and it's cool that i was gonna say that they've come come back to their native countries and I'm glad that I. I don't know how do I, how what am I trying to say that they haven't had that stigma put on them. Yeah, that oh here comes the you know oh this guy went to oh he's just a dummy, he's one of them goons that went to North America and fought. Like I'm glad they've like you said, Screwco's coaching in the Ukraine and so Sammy yeah. and Sammy's kids playing now and and it's oh he's he's involved and it's good to see yeah. that they're still involved and and they're not getting kind of like you know whatever shunned for being the fighter.
1: Again, like you know, ever since Craig Berube and the Saint Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup, I'm so happy to you know, you know, to notice that uh, there's been a lot of articles, even on the mainstream media, where uh, you know these journalists have actually noticed that, hmm, right from the juniors up to the minor pro and the NHL level, there's a lot of former tough guys who are now as head coaches or assistant coaches and they can actually do the math they can put one and one together and understand that hey these guys had to always work extra they had to pay attention they had to find ways to to you know improve because they didn't have that much natural talent as some of these first liners plus also these guys have to have you know great you know uh, communication skills and because they were always great teammates so they know what it means when you make a sacrifice for the team or for another person and because they went through all that extra training they know what works for this guy and what you know works for that guy and they have all these tools and they can put it together and they can teach these people very much like you know Rocky Thompson I uh, I read a lot of the things Uh, that were published when he was applying for this NHL coaching job. And the way he prepared for those job interviews, the way he explained it, like, wow. Like, he is a person I would like to talk to about hockey coaching. Of course, maybe later on, I would like to ask him about a couple of his fights. But Rocky's skills, the way he communicates, the way he thinks about the game and all that stuff, you know I'm happy to see that it's it's not only with with Rocky and you know Craig Berubi but it's the, you know guys like Helenius, Ibanans and all these other former tough guys
0: no oh, absolutely and it um yeah and uh well and i was gonna say and to get to kind of go back to uh, uh for those listening uh you know Jay, jay's a fucking legit dude. Like we're not just talking some dude on Facebook that likes to make DVDs. It's like you've been involved in hockey. You, and like you were, you had mentioned, you've been in the players' side operations side of it. Um, you know, scouted, coached, drafted, played. So I mean <laughs> Jay's not just some fucking idiot talking here that doesn't know what he's talking about. You've been I, this I'm going somewhere with this. You've been involved in hockey and uh, for years so you're in there talking to hockey people, and you are a hockey person, so you're obviously what you're saying is carrying weight and you have knowledge behind what you're saying you're not just picking this shit out of the air and you're like you said you're an author you wrote these books you've sat down and talked with these guys so again, I want to reiterate to the people listening this isn't just you know uh you know me and Alex sitting over here flapping our lips cuz we watched a couple of DVDs and now we think we know everything no you've actually been involved you've been in there you've been in the dressing room you know what's going on so when i'm asking you these questions this isn't just what he is guessing happened this is what happened and what was said so um having said all that in my long-winded how i'm going to get there um Being involved in the hockey, like I said, I I, I obviously see it from the North American side. I grew up in the North American mindset of hockey and everything else. And I know you have a very, obviously you have a, you know, for lack of a better term, you have a North American view of hockey and want that. That's the style of hockey you like, um, which obviously does not translate well in some cases to Italy or Finland or wherever (laughs) over Europe, um what has been what what basically what's the overall um and i mean i mean the media in canada is just, we have our, our our damian coxes and our campbells and everyone that would rally up against fighting too so i mean we have our media guys that can't stand it but what's the general theme over there with it how is it viewed and in within hockey how is fighting viewed I mean, well, I know, I, I know it's it's a broad question because in Finland or yeah. Italy or Russia, it's all viewed different. But just in general, as you were growing up and you were involved in the game and playing, blah blah blah, what was the overall view of fighting in hockey?
1: Well, first of all, when I was a kid, every time there was a new hockey game on the market for for Nintendo or some of those you know early home computers, the first question everybody always asked. Are there fights? How are the fights? Yeah. Nobody asked. Nobody asked if, if you can actually select your you know power play line or your PK line. Everybody was interested. How are the fights? Yep. And within the hockey scene overall, I would say that uh majority of the people don't see anything wrong with it. But again, the way the rules are you know called these days. Yep. and the way in in many European leagues, the rules have been, besides the UK and the KHL, is that if you drop the gloves, you get you know five plus twenty, and you might even get the uh, match misconduct. So sometimes the guys they have made the decision to fight even when it probably didn't serve the team's best interests because maybe they had a game you know the following day, but. Again, sometimes you just have to make a stand and just, you know, you know, suffer the consequences. And I actually had a player in Finland. He was a big player and he played like a stupid fucking rat. And he would always start running his mouth after he had done something very dirty and very cheap. And the other team players were looking for, you know, retribution. He he started to get very vocal Right the moment when the linesman, you know, got there in between, and one one time I, I gave it to him in front of the whole team, and I called him a fucking pretender. I'm sure it didn't uh, elevate the the atmosphere in in the locker room right at that moment, but afterwards, uh, one week later or so, the boys had a had a pre-weekend, and they got a little drunk. Every player from the team came to me and said, it was great that, that you said it out loud. We hate that guy. He he plays like an irresponsible idiot, and he won't fight, and his bark is so big, but there's no bite. I felt embarrassed, and that was a player I, I hadn't signed. I have to say this much. He already had a two-year contract going on, but... uh, uh other than that, then, leave, you know, how, how the media ceased fighting here. Oh, in, in our first interview, I told you that uh, I got actually upset one time when one of the newspapers labeled me as the high priest of hockey violence. That's what it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, sure. I helped a lot of tough guys with their careers. I even signed Steve McWay to play for my team, but eventually our head coach let him go before the regular season began. He just didn't see eye, eye to eye with Big Mac, and, well, he went from Finland to Las Vegas for anglers, so I don't think that Steve McWay minded that much. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, when when this magazine or this newspaper wrote that piece or, you know, published this piece saying I'm a, the high priest of hockey violence, I actually felt insulted because that was the season when I traveled to scout and watch 268 hockey games over 100 practices and thousands and thousands of miles driven in the dark winter roads of Finland. And during that eight-month season in those 268 games, I might have seen... (laughs) three fights, four fights only. So that got, you know, it, yeah, it's still something like, yeah, it's a cool nickname, but too bad that, you know, it's still, you know, fucking stamped on me. And it's been way easier for me actually to work abroad than, you know, to work in Finnish hockey, because I know that <laughs> there's still a lot of people who just consider me as this one dimensional goony lover which couldn't be further from the truth, but hey, at least I have a reputation.
0: <laughs> well, hey, it's better to be known for something than nothing at all. So, but uh, uh, I laugh because the first time that you and I connected was you were working with the Saskatoon Blades.
1: Yeah, and it, I was working, uh, or or you know, let's put it this way: your childhood f- friend was my boss.
0: Yes, and he got a hold of me and was talking to me and said, "You know this guy." And I said, yeah, well, I've heard of him. And I said, I've been on a message fight message board. I think we've talked like that way. And he's like, oh, he's <laughs> helping us scout and everything. So, and, oh. yeah, Jared thought that was pretty funny that I knew you from a fight message board. But uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> but he was like, well,
0: can you kind of like talk? like Because you because you had asked asked him about, of course, of course you did. You asked him about footage. And, and Jared was like, well, I know a guy that you should talk to. And then that's how you and I started talking. And uh, so it's funny because I remember he's like, yeah, it's like our European scholar." I can't remember how he worded it. Our Finnish guy or something like that. And I'm like, yeah. okay. And I'm like, and then he said, you're, I'm like, well, I only know one guy that collects fight DVDs from Finland. So I'm pretty sure I know uh, who, where uh, you're going with this.
1: in VHS tapes at the time, not DVDs.
0: Oh, that's true. Right, right, right. VHS yeah. tape. That is true. VHS tapes. And I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. And then he said your name and I started laughing, and I'm like, Yeah, that's who it is. And uh... Yeah and,
1: and the funny story how how I got that gig was that after one game here in Finland I went to see my friend Shane Toparovsky. Who is uh, who is Kerry Toparovsky's a little brother and and uh after uh afterwards we went to have a dinner and then he asked me that hey uh do you think you You'd mind scouting for the Saskatoon Blades because my dad is, you know, working for them and, and they, uh, they they really need a guy in Europe. And that was, I was only 25 or 26 at the time, I believe. I had been a player agent for some time before this happened. And uh, uh, what a huge honor because I always, you know, ever since I, I was a little boy, if there was the World Championships on, on TV or the Olympic Games were on TV. I was always rooting for the Maple Leaf. And uh, what an honor for me as a health Canadian to work for a Canadian major junior team and then especially as, as uh, you know, legendary organization as the Saskatoon Blades. And I remember the first phone call from Warren Mulliken. Uh I think I was shaking a lot because I knew about him and I knew he was the real deal. I was like, I was very green. I was very, very green and he calls me, but he treated me as an equal. And that felt so good. Like yeah. really there was no, no attitude on his part. He, he didn't, you know, put himself above me he asked me a lot about, you know, Finnish hockey and about, you know, how much, you know, the juniors practice when they are 15, 16, 17, 18, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that made me feel really good, you know, because I, I had met a lot of hockey people, you know, prior to that conversation who thought that they were, the, you know, the real deal if they had worked, you know, one year in the Finnish league or they had played one or two games, you know, in Sweden or for the national team, like this kind of unwarranted arrogance. And that's something what I try to, you know, you know, keep w- with me. If I meet, you know, young players or some young coaches, and if, if I if I feel that they are solid and, and that they are sincere, then, of course, I will, you know, try my best to open doors for them. Because Shane Toporovsky and his dad, opened the door for me and afterwards thanks to this geek for the Saskatoon Blades I got my first job in you know Finnish you know in in Finnish professional hockey as the as the sports manager so it's a uh, life is sometimes all about lucky breaks and you know yeah <laughs> it's it's funny like to think now it's uh being what this happened in 2005, and now it's you know 2022. Yeah. Time goes by so damn fast. Yeah,
0: it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's funny how the hockey world—they always say—is a really. It is funny how it's a small world. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's and, and like I said, and I know it's um, I've said it on here before, and I and it's true, but it's, um, and I, it's amazing with the internet uh, how it made the world so small. And it was, and you can now communicate with everyone around the world. I've often said this with this podcast that it can be heard around the world, and um, and it is heard around the world. So I see the demographic; yeah. not that there's a million people listening. But you, but it's, I've always said it's really weird for me to be sitting there thinking that I was in my back room of my condo yelling into a microphone about something, and some guy in Russia is listening, or in, yeah. or Finland, or whatever, and it was just. You know, and it's pretty wild. And the same thing, right? You get on the message board, you start talking to people. Next thing you know, you're trading VHS tapes or DVDs with a guy in, well, Zoltan in Russia, or with you, or with that, you know, and it's just like, I go back to, like, you know, whatever, when I'm in high school and we're doing the hockey goon draft in the basement and, you know, we're buying fight tapes (laughs) or fight VHS tapes out of the back of the hockey news, that here I would be, you know, 30 years later, Talking on a microphone to a guy in Finland about, yeah. uh, you know, Kristoff Oliwa or something. You know, it's it's pretty <sighs> fucking wild.
1: Yeah, and I actually now I again I need to backtrack just a little bit. When you asked me like what the people over here think about fighting, well, uh, last year uh, I met some of my friends who are coaching, coaching in the Finnish professional leagues here and uh what do i give to my friends uh i give my friends hockey fight dvds of course they love to watch they love to watch this stuff that i have because a lot of these dvds that i have you won't find this footage on youtube and they like to watch these fights also sometimes with the players and i know hearing this from two of my colleagues they say that oh i hope some of my players would have even one tenth of the spark, what those guys used to have when they had, you know, the old AHL or IHL, because they are still hoping that it will be just a little bit more like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like um, um, uh, a combative sport, that there will be just a little bit more grit out there. Uh, You know, even these coaches, they, they feel this way and they are, you know, between my age and your age, which, you know, translates to 40 to 45, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, and it's, yeah, and everyone you talk to involved in hockey, everybody I've had on the show that I've talked to hockey, that I, that is involved in hockey, says the same thing. They wish it was, go back to the way it was, or there was just a, or maybe not so much go back, well, some guys do, but maybe not go back to, whatever, 1998 Syracuse, but, I mean, have a bit of it have, like I said, have something, have some jam, have some grit, somebody, well, like I said, goddamn, someone get mad at somebody, really, can we, can someone get mad about something, like, everything's just gotta be sportsmanship, and buddy, buddy, I said, shit, they even fight, they're not mad, they're bro-hugging after, it's like, can anybody just be an asshole, please, <laughs> somebody be an asshole, that's why, like, everybody kind of, like, I always said to go on some rant here, but, like, with Reeves, well, yeah, I'm like, yeah, Reeves is a prick, I, and I love the fact that he is, and and I, I said, hell, there's fight fans that get mad at him about it, it's like, really? Like, why does everything have to be this good job, bro? I Like, I don't get it, like, why can't people just no. be pricks? I mean, I'm not saying you gotta run them over in the parking lot when the game's over but I mean during the game why why am I being nice what is this nice shit I don't understand it but it's just this mindset of today's game it's just it's in, it's getting it's literally getting ingrained in sports This yeah. fucking everybody be nice to everybody
1: let's say that it let let's say that I will have a hockey team right now and we will play say against the Minnesota wild or we will play against the Maple Leafs and if I could choose my, my opening forward line, I would have a Kevin Kaminsky, Andy Biso, and Kevin Evans. Could you
0: all imagine? these guys
1: all these guys were under five eleven, I'd say. Yeah. But with that intensity, with that fearlessness, with that grit, and with that will to go over the edge. Oh, I would love to see the consequences of that first shift that these guys will play. We will have the, the, you know, we will have the edge and we will have the momentum for the rest of the game because these modernist players, they have never had to play hockey when they have b- been actually under fear or intimidated by anyone. They have never experienced that. everything been, everything's been so nice and smooth ever since they joined the hockey school.
0: Yep. No, yeah, if you and people can laugh and whatever all they want, if you can still intimidate people, and intimidation works, and if and if you play fit, well, there's been a guy that's been picked up at the trade deadline, what three straight years now that has won three straight cups, named Pat Maroon. Yeah. Who, I mean, in 1990, and I'm not knocking. I like Pat Maroon, but in 1998, Pat Maroon's about the seventh guy on the team in terms of toughness. But nowadays, he's like the ringleader. But, I mean, on his team. But, I mean, yeah. what he brings, he brings that intensity and that, and, and and like you said, guys feed off that energy when they're hitting, when guys get, I mean, everybody else becomes three inches taller when Maroon's out there. And it's not the Pat Maroon's Tony Twist, but, I mean, he brings that attitude. Same thing yeah. with Reeves. Like, why do you think all these teams pick him up? Why do you think the Rangers went and got Reeves? It was for a reason. And, all oh, shockingly, who's in first place right now? Oh, gee. Here they went from getting fucking absolutely abused and embarrassed by Tom Wilson to the following year they go and get the toughest guy in the league and look who's in first place. Oh, well, gee, shocking. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, and but these idiots just can't wrap their head around it. Now, I'm not saying the New York Rangers is going to win the Stanley Cup, but don't tell me Ryan Reeves didn't bring something to that team. Of course he did. No. But they can't. You know, they just think he's some sort of goon and useless. Like, no.
1: Well, People in hockey hard...
0: like don't think that.
1: He's another guy who made the wise decision, perhaps, you know, that he was more of a player, but then he decided to take a more specified role. And it it's worked pretty well for him. And also, let's say that his timing was perfect, the way this part of the game has slowly been dying out. But it's actually interesting that he is also one of those guys, like, you know, Riley Cote was back in the day. Yep. That They decided, okay, I'll add something extra to my skill set. And it's not going to be the, you know, the soft hands of a 50-goal scorer. So good for these guys.
0: Exactly. No, it's like coach Paul Bissonette. There's another guy. Everybody old biz and spitting Chiglets and old biz is a big goon and blah, blah, blah. No, he wasn't. Guy was an OHL all-star. Guy's was an East Coast Hockey League all-star. But he made the decision in his mind. And, you know, I mean, he was always a gritty guy. It wasn't like he was Lady Bing candidate and junior or anything. I mean, he played with a grit and would fight now and again. But he made the decision. He looked at Pittsburgh's yeah. roster, realized they didn't have anybody that would do it. And, and he decided to I'll be that guy. Which, again, yeah. takes incredible balls that I, don't, I think people don't realize. Same And like you said, same thing with Riley Cote. Uh, and, yeah, and with Reeves. It was funny when Reeves started making noise in the East Coast League and the American League. You know, I had a couple people, oh, you should see this Reeves guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, he's an old dub boy. I'm like, who? I didn't know he played in the WHL. I didn't know he played for Brandon. I'm like, who is this (laughs) fucking guy? Because you go and look it up, I think he had three fights in Brandon the one year and five the next. Like, I think he only had about 10 WHL fights. And it was just, but he was just a big guy that was physical, but he wouldn't really fight. But then he was smart enough to realize that, okay, if I'm going to make... I don't have the skills to make the NHL, like, offensively. But if I start hitting, I'm going to use my size, start hitting guys, and start fighting. And, well, now look. I mean, how many, I don't know, five, six, I don't know how many NHL games he's played. Probably five or six hundred at this point. And, I mean, he's made millions of dollars. and, And I know he's got it. Well, and you know you've made it when you got your own beer. he's he's got his own beer in Las Vegas. So there you go. Oh, wow. A a craft craft brewery in Las Vegas. Well, craft. I mean, unfortunately, it's craft beer. I know Jay in Iowa there. He'd be all over that and his chestnut ale or whatever it is. But I mean, this year, if we go back to Vegas, I will. uh, For the sake of uh, for the for the podcast and for for the the science experiment, I will buy Ryan Reeves craft beer. I believe it's called Revo 75. And, uh, I, I will pick it up and, and report my findings back. But, uh, but so I'm like, yeah, you've made it when you got your own beer, but no, but Ryan Reeves is like, (laughs) yeah, he, uh, I mean, I know for whatever, I don't know, fight. I always say with fight fans, I, I've never for supposed fight fans, they hate fighting. I mean, you read these message boards and all, all they do is shit on Reeves and all these guys. I'm like, well, shouldn't you shit on the 650 guys that don't go into a corner? (laughs) <laughs> no, you, sh- you shit on the, t- the six-and-a-half guys that do. You know, I'm like, I don't understand it. I don't know where Reeves gets all this shit from, but whatever. You know, yeah. but... Uh...
1: Oh, I, was, I, I, kept... I threw
0: out his name earlier. And I forgot to bring it up when we were talking about Screwco and all the... Uh, Oliwa was a name that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, have you had any inter- interactions with Oliwa?
1: Never, never. But I saw him play one game live, and of course, you know... Probably seen pretty much all all the footage that there is on, on his career. But, you know, an, another guy coming from a totally different kind of hockey culture yeah. over to North America and just being like a huge guy, 6'5 or whatever, and just learning to their role. And there was a year maybe of, I'm not sure when it was, 2000, the early 2000s, he played one World Championship tournament for Team Poland. And let's just say that he was exposed out on that large Olympic ice sheet. Like he was, he was slow. He didn't have great hands, but the amount of fear and respect that he commanded out there—it it it was exactly the same thing. What I saw when Jody Shelley played in Finland during the 04-05 lockout. I went to see one of the games. And to meet Jody, but it was so funny when his team was on power play, and the coach and he sent that Jody out there, and he went to screen the goalie, and the defensemen of, of, of this other team didn't even touch him with the stick or anything, because at at that point, all these Finnish players thought like, well, he's a goon, and if I touch him, he's just gonna snap and he's gonna beat me up. It was hilarious to watch. Like there was so much open free space for Jody in front of front of the net on PP and same thing with Oliva. And like I would say maybe Oliva isn't my favorite fighter, but you have to respect the amount of hard work he had to do because even by the nineteen ninety standards when he made it to the NHL. He wasn't one of the most skilled enforcers out there, so he had to fight, and he had to fight a lot. I think that one year, uh, including preseason and playoffs, he had 45, 46, 47 fights. And the year after, I think he also had over 30 fights. So he worked hard, for sure. And uh, probably wasn't much fun for him, him either you know to go overseas and learn to this kind of new role.
0: <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like you said, he was um yeah, he uh he actually did especially in New Jersey. Like yeah, like you said those those the late 90s years in New Jersey. Um he he was pretty solid. Like he started, you know, he started really figuring out in Albany. You know, those first couple of years he was a big guy and he kind of, you know, did a lot of wrestling and, you know, took some thumpings, but I mean, yeah. Um, those last couple of years in Albany, you know, putting up the 200 minutes and whatever and the 300 and then all of a sudden to go to New Jersey was, he had a pretty solid run and had some really good, he had some big wins over guys. And, yeah, uh, and
1: I, I think when he came to North America, he also began his career and I think he began his career in there in, uh, in junior B level and then the season after that he went to Raleigh in the East Coast, and then he got called up to Albany.
0: Well, let's have a look here. Uh, we'll, uh...
1: Like, if, if you make it to the ECHL from Junior B... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's incredible. Oh, like, let's say that you play Junior B for one year as a European, and you learn to the role, and the next year you go to the ECHL and the American League. Oh, good fucking luck, buddy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, like you said, like, yeah, like... Yeah, this this is this really correct? Yeah, yeah. In, in ninety two, ninety three, he was playing for the Welland Cougars.
1: Yeah, that's Junior B. Yeah, yeah.
0: and and then the next year, he he plays thirty three games in the American Hockey League with Albany and fifteen yeah. in Raleigh and in the playoffs in the East Coast League.
1: Okay, okay, nice. nice. Yeah,
0: so I mean, yeah, to go from you know, well, and before that, comes over from Poland. And, yeah. and then, like you said, can't speak the English. Can't can't speak the English. I can't even speak the English. He can't speak, he can't speak English uh, or or anything. But he's just he, again, ma- something with these. It must be in the water over there. These massive dudes. I mean, Oliwa was huge, so I mean, obviously that helped him too. But it was like fighting isn't even it. You know, I'm sure it wasn't like he was doing lots of fighting in Poland. So it was like come over and you play and. Next thing you know, you're in the American Hockey League in Albany. Like, are you shitting mm-hmm. me? Like you said, it's just the the journey. It's just fascinating, and I, and 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 I I had never thought about it. Like I said, right at the start of the show, we talking to you about it the other day, I had never really, like I said, it's it's I'm just viewing it from North American eyes. I've never actually put myself in the position of a guy coming over having that that mind that not really having that mindset, but coming over and wanting to make it so bad that he's willing to do anything. And he just like, I'm just going to start, especially back then and to start, I mean at any time, but especially you're in the nineties with all these killers all around you. And it's like, yeah, I'm I'm just going to start fighting now. It's like,
1: really? And you know, it's, it's very similar. Like for example, uh, I read the about James book. Yes. And, yeah, well, not only the racism he had to, you know, face there, you know, from the fans and from the other team, but in that book, there were also stories about how things were sometimes within his own locker room. Yeah. So it's been so hard, you know, for so many just to be able to play the sport that they love. And sometimes the reason you have been hated is the uh, the color of your skin or then you were born across the Atlantic Ocean. So for me, you know, to think about these guys, you know, they made it true, despite, like, that they would have, you know, 20 guys in their own locker room just hating their guts. You know, how tough, like, let's say that uh, next Monday when you go to work, how cool, you know, would it be to you to know that everybody whom you work with they fucking hate your guts and they think that you are scum.
0: Yeah. They're trying to, and they're trying to actively get you to lose your job. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah.
1: Like I, I have this great story about one of the first Finnish players ever who went to play in the WHA. And this guy later on, actually, uh, I, I worked together with him in Finland. He was coaching the team and I was signing the players, but He goes to the WHA training camp, and he meets this tough guy from Ontario called Keith Kokkola. And any Finn would instantly, you know, recognize that this guy has Finnish heritage because his last name, Kokkola, is also a city in Finland. So uh, Keith Kokkola comes over and, you know, makes up a... A nice conversation asking about Finland, the Finnish food, the culture, the weather, the summer cottages, the saunas, or saunas, like you say. And he also explained his family story, you know, to this Finnish player. And of course, this Finnish guy being first time over in in the U.S., being maybe a little naive because not too many Europeans had, had yet played in North America. So he thought, yeah, nice. I made a friend. And then they go on the ice. And Keith Kokkola just attacks this guy a cross check all, all over this guy's face, and he loses four teeth. And Keith Kokkola yells at him, Keep your head up, you fucking finished chicken shit.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's, that's one way to learn that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's just like shit like that. Like, it's one thing when you're playing it, oh, the other team hates you. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> But yeah, when you're hated in your own locker room, holy shit, like, yeah, that's a whole level of... Uh, yeah, and, and like you said, and it's not like you've done anything to warrant this hate. I mean, there's guys that like are just fucking clowns and no one likes them. Well, that's their own doing, because they're just idiots. But no, yeah. this is just from the fact that I'm from <clears throat> Poland, if you don't like yeah. me. You know, and it's and just like, like, yeah, it's pretty... Uh,
1: and when you consider, you know, when the WHA came around... Just prior to that, the NHL had had its first expansion and then WHA comes around. So there were a lot of guys making it to the big time who really had no serious business, you know, being up at that level. And yeah, maybe some of these, you know, Europeans from Finland and Sweden and even Germany, maybe they were just, you know, better suited to play on, on the first line than these guys who were playing in the old Eastern League on the third line, maybe scoring 20 points and, you know, racking up, you know, 100, 150 pins. Because at the end of the day, every team wants to win and they need to win. So, it, but hey, again, like these stories are brutal, but also... I think they are very entertaining. Well, you know, for example, this story that I just shared with you, not all the stories that we've, you know, discussed, all, you know, before recording. But, uh, yeah, the world has changed so much in in such short time. And now we are complaining that everything is, is too nice and, you know, too comfy. I wonder how it's going to be when we are 60, 70 or 80 years old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, right, it always seems with whenever in anything in life, it seems when there's there's changes being made, everything's to the extreme, right? Like, yeah. uh, there's a lot of things that should have been changed from back in the day, but yeah. you, you, we maybe could have leaned a little. You didn't have to completely dump the scale over. I mean, like I said, it, it seems to be, in well, like I said, anything in life is ex- extreme nowadays one way or the mm-hmm. other. And it's like, there, there's never any, the happy medium doesn't seem to exist anymore in a lot of nope. things. So unfortunately nope. we could have found the happy medium. Uh, I think we'd all be, we'd be laughing, but, uh, but man, I mean, we've been an hour and a half. We've kind of yapped away about lots of different things. Um, uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go, I know it's getting late there. Um, you, uh, you're, you're, you, well, you were talking about DVD. I mean, you you're, you put you've put together a ton of DVDs lately. The biggest one being uh, the Sarah Roberts one that was yeah. uh, that turned out excellent. But uh, I, I still uh, talk about the Mike Bro thing for a sec. How, how many fights is that now?
1: Well, according to my latest research, uh, I was lucky enough to discover some uh, some old websites using the Wayback Machine and on the old drop your gloves website they listed mike brawl as having uh, 619 fights then uh, i did my own little research because i'm working on his his dvd collection as well i still need to locate around 80 of his tilts and then i can consider the the uh, the collection you know to be as complete as possible you know you know to the best of my knowledge but now i found some lost stats lots of lost fight cards and about one year ago i did my previous research and i came up with i believe it was 723 fights for mike broad in his career and now i still need to go through all these box scores and whatnot but mike broad had closer to 900 career fights than 800 career fights
0: <laughs>
1: that's insane
0: well, that's, Yeah. Uh,
1: and i would like to say because i've watched or now i've seen approximately 400 of his fights uh, none of these fights have had a- anything to do with you know protecting his teammates it's-
0: Uh, No, yeah, no, it wasn't, you mean it wasn't after a big hit, a big clean hit? No, No, it was, uh, what do they call them, premeditated, or is that what you're saying? Are you saying there were, a lot of Mike's fights are staged?
1: Oh, I I would never say that about any fights from the QSPHL or the LNAH, no.
0: (laughs) Could you, I can't, you can't even wrap your head around that, I just had to bring that up, 900 fights. I laugh because here's Jay. He's telling me in private messages, "Oh, I found he had eight, six hundred fights. Now it's seven hundred, then eight hundred. Oh, now we're closer to 900. And then, so do you have any of these DVDs? I'm like, this this is a project that's never going to end.
1: Oh, I know. But again, like, uh, you know, working on that search Robert's, a collection for well over a year. You know, trying to do the best possible research to to, to place each fight in. In a, in a chronological order and, you know, trying to ID some of the fights that, you know, the footage was like a very crappy quality. I'm sure there's still some mistakes, you know, at, you know, Sultan, he already sent me an email about a few mistakes. But uh, the funniest thing is that uh, I also decided to make this DVD ab- available on YouTube. And after like two or three days, they were all, all taken down. But, uh, uh, these DVDs are free to download, and you don't have to pay any money for these because I don't need any loonies because I don't need to go play any fucking pinball. If you if you catch my drift, bro.
0: I do. I, I,
1: oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few
0: folks out there that'll know what you're talking about. Pinball, hey, your, yeah. Put your loony down before
1: before I choose to go. Uh, I'll have to give. A couple honorable mentions here on these European tough guys. One is still playing in the NHL, the flying Frenchman Antoine Roussel. He is maybe more of an agitator, but during his North, Amer- his North American career, from the uh, from the Quebec Junior League through ECHL, AHL, and the NHL, he has racked up 134 fights. So that's pretty respectable and yeah. um, you know coming from a French guy who was only 5'11 so you know hats off to him like that's a huge accomplishment and then uh, back in the day in the OHL there was a lot of hype on this guy uh, Boris Molabic and he also he also played a few games in the NHL but I don't think he ever he ever met Uh, he ever became that tough as all the fans were expecting him to be, but still, like, he played a very, very solid career. And I remember the old OHL Tough Guys website. They they always, you know, talked about his fights. And then, of course, your former guest and my friend Roman of Opat. I would really like to also complete my Roman of Opat DVD. I made one about fifteen years ago for him, and I hope i can I can again find his uh his contact information, but he's probably the most honest person I've ever met in hockey like he's just a great guy and uh, you know no nonsense and also for him to go to to the Western League without you know ha- having any English skills. And then learning how to play in, in the North American way, having some of the fights that he did. And then, you know, being a part of that famous great, you know, Gretzky trade or, you know, getting traded what it was, you know, three times in two weeks. Like he had it tough. He had it really fucking tough. Yeah. So I have a lot of respect to Roman. Like he is a, he's a very good man. And there's still three more on, un- on un- honorable mentions here. Frederick Oduya, the late great Swede. Yep. Uh, he was so damn tough and he was such a nice person. Uh, he took some time off from hockey after I believe, uh, 99 2000 season. He had a lot of injuries and I think his back was operated and he went back to school in Stockholm and then he wanted to make a comeback for hockey after like five years and uh i was I was there to help him, let's say that way and uh the one day his fiance sent me an email about his his tragic death, driving the motorcycle so yeah that was that was really tough like he was such a sweetheart, I have to say like such such a kind man, radio to do you? tough as tough as hell, Yep. and also, I never asked him. But when he went to the OHL, not only as a Swede, but also as a as a person with African heritage, I'm sure he had some kind of run-ins there with, you know, racism and stuff like that. But he was tough and he had a such big heart. It's it's incredible. The first ever European to lead a major junior hockey league in penalty minutes. Was in 2008, uh, Josef Sladok from Slovakia. He, he played for the, uh, the Plymouth Whalers in the OHL. And some years later, he came to Finland. My friend was coaching a team and they needed a tough D. So he, he, he comes to Finland and just like a few weeks, you know, prior to his arrival, he had had his first professional boxing match. So that was an instant scandal over here, but Slats is he's such a great guy and he's he's just slowly coming back from a bad injury and he's playing in, in Slovakia and I'm sure the UK fans remember him well and I know that Slats will someday probably give you or Alec an interview when he's re- retired from the sport but I know he has a lot of great stories to tell and this is not an honorable mention. This is one of the toughest Europeans of all time. I'll I'll give you a hint. In his NHL NHL debut game, he had three fights. He fought Josh Gratton twice and then he fought against I believe it was Sean O'Donnell. Do you know whom I whom I'm talking about here? No. David Cotchi.
0: Oh okay. Oh, of course. Co- yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know
0: why. No. Uh, I, I don't know why my mind went to like Nazarov. I'm like who? I'm like oh, yeah. Kochi. Yeah.
1: And there's a reason why Nazarov is not, or why he wasn't on my honorable mention list. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if I yeah. use the
0: word honor, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he fights Grattan and Gratin TKOs Kochi. and. And Kochi goes to the penalty box feeling all bad about himself. He's afraid that he made himself look really bad. And I am, you know, quoting this from an old interview that he gave to the Czech, to the Czech media some years ago. So he decides that if he gets another shift, he would go back at it and, you know, try to challenge, you know, Gratz again. And this time, he gets the win over grad And then he's... The third fight was actually against Nick Boynton, not against Sean Sean O'Donnell. But uh, that's a pretty impressive NHL debut. Three gay, uh, uh sorry, uh, three fights, and I believe it, it was forty-one or forty-four penalty minutes.
0: Yep. Well, the, and like you said, that guy he fought everybody, and I mean, yeah. I know he fought McGrath a million times in the American League. And, yeah. You know. Uh, you know, like you said, win some, lose some Probably, yeah, whatever, probably took took a few, but yeah. Guy had Gutsman. Uh,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Well it's funny, I mentioned Nazarov there earlier. I mean, uh, uh what a character that guy is. I mean, I I'll tell you, I've never seen anybody like he he was a high first he was a first round pick by San Jose, yeah. I believe. Um, big dude. I remember watching fight tape, and I mean, again, when you go back to minors and whatever, there was, you know, with angles that we talked about, Mel and yeah. all all the craziness that happened in the minors. I had never seen a guy in the NHL at that in the night in that time frame in the nineties. <laughs> I'm not talking the seventies with Durbano and all that, but in the nineties, just openly as dirty fighter as Nazarov was.
1: True. Yeah, th- there was no code, you know. <laughs> no, no, the there isn't.
0: But but also just like headbutt, eye gouge, hair pull, and, like, national televised games, the refs are all standing there watching. It wasn't like he tried to hide this shit. It wasn't yeah. like it was in some dingy rink in Des Moines in the United League or something. No, this is hockey night in Canada. We're in Winnipeg, and he decides he's going to start unloading headbutts on someone. It's just yeah. like, what the fuck? Like...
1: But mainly, uh, I would like to say that the reason why Nazarov was not on my List at all is more because of uh, his actions and his comments since he retired and when he became a coach. Because the stuff that he has encouraged his players to do, the stuff he has said, uh, it's just like I have zero respect, just no respect at all. And I have to respect that he made it to the NHL as an enforcer. Not maybe the most entertaining fighter or the most winningest fighter, even though your favorite Bob Probert fanboys are probably crying over the fact that Nasser will probably be, you know beat Proby, even though he might have jumped him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like you, like you said, well, we won't go too much into it. But like what I like, I haven't followed any of that. I know he's coaching over in the KHL, but. Uh... Like, what? what is he, like, just talking stupid? Like, like what? I don't understand. Like, when you said his comments, like, what? just gooning it up or what?
1: Let's say, Darren, that we can discuss those matters off air.
0: Oh, all right. We're going to do that. Okay. And
1: also, to all the Bob Probert fanboys whose feelings I just heard, do not be afraid. I'm actually a fan of Proby as well, and I have a Bob Probert tattoo on my left arm. So nope. shut up. <laughs>
0: No, don't start talking common sense here, Jay. We can't do that. But, uh, <laughs> well, there we go. That, uh, well, like I always tell you, this certainly won't be the last time I have you on the show. I always enjoy having you on. And like I said, I think today's episode is really cool just because it's certainly, I think it's a different perspective from, well, the majority of my listeners will have because I'm sure they're they're coming from how I have looked at things or my mindset around the game. So uh, to have you on and explain your side, you know, coming from the other side of the ocean, is always a good thing, and I think it's great to see hear both sides of the story and 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 your involvement to get those stories. But uh, no, man, it's yeah, cool. no,
1: and I'm sure that uh, that the Darren who wrote that great piece 20 years ago, back in 2001, he will not probably wanted to have this kind of a conversation with a half half European guy. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, yeah. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> see, this is the thing, right? As we get older, we should you gotta gotta hang out with uh, different people. You learn things, right? And you you open your mind. So there we go. Yeah.
1: Well, hey, for me too. Like same thing. Uh, I have been there in Saskatchewan, you know, living my life there in uh, in Regina, and I can tell you honestly, after living in is it six or seven different countries by now. Saskatchewan is one of the most unique places I've ever been to because that prairie lifestyle is it's, is its own world, totally. Like, I've never experienced anything quite like it, and I never will. And I hope someday the world opens again, and I can come there for holidays, you know, m- maybe meet up with you and Dan Copeck and, you know, Kent Staniford and, yeah.
0: Absolutely. No, yeah, mm. we, yeah, well, you know, at some point here, I know it's sometimes it's dark clouds and we can't see the, can't see the light in the tunnel, but it will, things will open up at some point. And, uh, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll get you back here in Saskatchewan. And absolutely. I'm going to make you come to Saskatoon. I ain't driving to that goddamn Regina, that hell hole, I'm not going there, but you can, uh, you show up here and, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll get some, uh, we'll get some great West in you and, uh, we'll get you rolling. It'll be, it'll be all good.
1: That sounds very good, and thanks for having me on, and I'm hoping that next time if I come on, then uh, you will be speaking Finnish with me, because I'm embarrassed again to notice how rusty my English has, you know, or how bad my English is right now, but hey, there's also a reason for this, because the world is closed, I don't get to travel, I don't get to speak the languages, and I think my German is actually no better than my English, and that that you know that tells you something, and, and the funniest thing is that I learned German when I was living in Italy, so I, I will leave you nor- North Americans wonder about that for a while.
0: I was going to say, yeah, okay. Well, no, I, your English was very good. Oh, hell, shit, anybody that listens to friggin' part-time only, shit, he butchers the language worse than you do, so no. I...
1: Mr. Code and Salem, and I think because you always say part-time only, and he talks about the code, so why don't we just call him Cody? Well,
0: there, there we go, Cody. I I oh, like Cody Salen. I like that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna. Well,
1: that's good too. I'm, yeah. h- I'm
0: hitting him with that as soon as we hang. And up hey,
1: there. with like like now that he's so popular and he's so well known at the at the Florida Everblades games. Yeah. I believe that Mrs. Olin Salen has to learn some boxing or something because Alec is gonna or sorry, Cole, Mr. Cody Salen. He's gonna start to uh, attract some puck bunnies soon.
0: Oh, the groupies will be yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah,
1: big time. Yeah, they're all gonna want to share or you know to taste his bush apple.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, split your bush apple with me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, to be young again. To be young again, Jay, and have these problems.
1: Oh, I, I agree. Because when we were his age, hockey was still a lot of fun to watch.
0: Uh, well like I said I don't know how they I don't know how they do it these days but uh, <laughs> well sir I want to thank you very much again for coming on the show like I said this certainly will not be the last time you have on you're on it's unfortunate just the time difference like I said with eight hour time difference I just had to yeah. stay off so it worked out but one of these days uh, you might have to put in a, you might have to stay up late one night but uh, I think we'll have to get a group chat with uh, code and sailing and, uh, and maybe lazito or something and we'll uh'll yeah.
1: i was actually going to propose you that uh because i i i want to challenge you here so that you actually will will have some future content on your show so you will have me and steven on on air at the same time and we will discuss the early nhl and nha tough guys of the 1910s 20s 30s maybe 40s
0: well and that's true and for you folks that don't know yeah, Steve, when, when Provert was com and Jay here, started doing some really in-depth diving into the early parts of fighting in hockey. And we're talking like Spray Cleghorn and Blackjack Stewart and Eddie Shore and all these guys. And uh, no, I think I that would be awesome to go back, kind of do a history of fighting kind of around. And I'm, I'll, I'm just going to hit record and slowly back my chair out and listen, because I have no idea <laughs> about any of this stuff. I mean, I've heard yeah. the names, but I mean, you guys have, you know, gone back and like you were posting like the Montreal Gazette from like 1920 with these like fight articles and stuff. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, I know Steve's into that too. So uh, no, I think yeah, that sure. I think that would be outstanding to go back and uh, and and to really, like I said, you you have to for these people you you got to learn where you come from, right? You gotta learn this history if you're into the hobby and. You know, it, it all started. You got to respect the era before, so I think to go back and uh, to go over all that stuff, I think would be would be really cool. So yeah, yeah that, like, that's a good idea. I think that definitely yeah, we s- need that to happen.
1: And something what I told Napes just the other day was that you know maybe twenty years down the road there won't be any new fans who will know about guys like you know Mel anglestad or you know Gary Cooper or David Kochi or any of these guys. And I, I think you know to be you know. Frank, when we are gone, nobody's going to know about these guys anymore.
0: No, no, and that's and that's the thing, and that's why, like with the with the podcast and stuff, and and I've said this before, like when I was when I had my old .com site when it went down, one of my main uh, things when I joined the network when Isha got a hold of me to join the network is I told him flat out, I will do it, but I am I am bringing back my old episodes. And re-uploading yeah. them, because I want those to be out on the internet for people to listen to. And once it's on the internet, and it's saved and everything else, it's there for a lifetime, right? And it's like, yeah. and I want those, in, and I mean, it sounds whatever, but I mean, I want someone to be able to go back and listen to Brad Wingfeld's interview. Or yeah. Josh or Chris Graff, and Kopeck and all these guys. I want that to be out there. So, yeah, for yeah, sure. Because they're all, it will be, well... And through the younger generation, it's no fault of their own, but they just, they weren't around when it was happening. So, and that's also the really cool thing with YouTube is that, but I mean, you need people to upload those fights. That's the thing I think sometimes these younger people or whatever, when they watch YouTube, they just, the shit just fell out of the sky and it was magically there. Well, no, someone had to take the time out to upload this stuff. So, and I think, and I think that's very important too. And, uh, yeah, and, I, and that, that which really bothers me when YouTube starts erasing shit, because oh, you yeah. you are in fact erasing history. Hockey fight and now again it's hockey fight in the grand scheme of things is it the well no it's not but you know what I mean for the fake, yeah. for the sake of us talking here and our fight fans listening that is fight history that should not be erased and people should take the time out to at least recognize it.
1: Yeah, and it's like you know, you mentioned. Dan Kopeck there again, and you know Josh Maser, and you know Chris Waltzi and you know Ken Staniford and like, yeah, I get my share of hockey here in Europe. I I I follow certain leagues, you know, just you know, you know, just to stay on the radar, you know, for the future. But if I get to choose, like what I do during my spare time, I have zero reason, you know, to put on an an NHL game of you know twenty twenty two. I'd rather watch the Kent Stanifords, Dan Kopecks, Chris Waltz's, and, you know, just Majors fights all night long. And especially when I know their stories, you know, thanks to your show, like uh, it's, it's, it's so awesome that you and Alec and Joe are doing what you're doing and, you know, you know, providing us with some great content. And uh, thank you again for, for all your hard work.
0: Well, I I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. You read that just like I wrote it, and uh, yeah. yeah, no, oh, yeah, that's outstanding. But uh, look at that—we're hey, closing. People, it. Right hey, the...
1: people, people, remember to download this episode. If you won't download this episode, I'll hunt you down.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Download it. Don't stream it. You get bastards. I need to get paid. And I, please... I got to pay. I got to pay Jay's gas money when he gets here. So I need the money.
1: Yeah, and you know. You people from Alberta and Saskatchewan, make sure you go t- to Lloyd Minster Fountain Tire and go yep. say hi to Mr. Kent Staniford.
0: That is true. And I will tell you, if you need, especially in this weather, you need winter tires. You hit that Fountain oh, Tire in time. Lloyd
1: Minster.
0: Yeah. <laughs> tell him a fourth line voice sent you. You'll get a deal. I don't know what kind of deal. He might charge you more. I don't know. But no, but even, I said, just go check out his office. You're going to see the cool shit he's got in his office. And like he I said, would, he'll, he'll probably give you a Toporowski story.
1: Yeah, and actually, I know what Mr. Staniford has on his fridge door. Do you know what he has on his fridge door? No. He has a postcard from Finland.
0: Well, there you go. I wonder,
1: I wonder how that happened. He's also getting soft as he's getting older. Oh, he's,
0: slum- he's slumming, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we yeah. go, man. Like I said, we're closing in the two-hour mark. This has been tremendous. Uh, I think, well, the people that regularly listen to the show will just be excited that there's actually a different voice than mine on here. They're getting sick of me. So, but uh, I want to, again, thank you very much for coming on. It won't be the last. And, uh, yeah, man, thank you very much.
1: All right. Thank you, Darren. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Absolutely, man.